0: Follow in the footsteps of the Cartier Panther with the Ponthère de Cartier Jewellery Collection. A creative signature of the Maison, the Cartier Panther has been reinvented time and time again since her first sighting in 1914. Magnetic, feline and wild, she is a force to be reckoned with, evolving with each design. Unbox the newest pieces in the Ponthère de Cartier Collection at Cartier.com.
1: I think the kind of leadership that we're moving into, which is an empathetic leadership, a really communicative style of leadership is perfect for women.
0: Welcome to Shattering the Glass Ceiling, a podcast from the team at The Art Angle, where we speak to boundary-breaking women in the art world and beyond about how art has shaped their lives and careers. I'm Sarah Cascone, Artnet News' senior writer, and this is the second episode in this four-part series. Today's installment is a conversation with Catherine Levine, an entrepreneur and media executive who founded Fine Art Digital Marketplace Artspace. Today, she is the president of the National Media Group division at publishing giant Meredith Corporation, the first woman in the role in the company's 115-year history. Thank you for joining us today, Catherine. Where are you calling in from? Hi, Sarah, thank you for having me. I am calling you
1: from Westchester, New York, in a house full of boxes as we just sold our New York apartment and have moved all of that, including our art collection, into our house in Westchester.
0: I understand you have quite an art collection. I know you grew up in Binghamton. and where did you first kind of discover your love for art?
1: I think it came from my grandmother was a pretty extraordinary woman for her time. She was always a fan of the arts in general, whether that be visual arts or performing arts. And she was one of the founding members of the New York State Council on the Arts. And I think I just really started to have a passion for art through her. And she did a little bit of collecting herself, you know, as much as one could do from upstate New York. And I think through her, then through my father, to me, I just was surrounded by people who loved art. And so it sort of, by osmosis, came through me.
0: And when did you start collecting art? Was there a first piece that kind of kicked everything off? There was. Actually, when I graduated from college, I came to New York And I really couldn't
1: afford any art, but I would always go to these nonprofit charity events and artists are incredibly generous and they very often donate works and the nonprofit sells those works in order to raise money for their organization. And the first piece I bought was a very small photograph by Vic Muniz. And that was in 1993, I believe. And so I still actually have that piece today. And that was the first one that I bought. And then I would go do that. I would just go to these charity events and buy little pieces here and there. And then as I grew up through my career and was able to afford a little bit more, I would just continue to buy pieces. Usually it was about a piece or two a year for a period of time. And I'd always set aside a little bit of budget in order to be able to do that.
0: So, wow, it's been almost 30 years that you've been collecting. Is there one piece that is really like your prize artwork?
1: Wow, gosh, that's hard to say because every piece has a special meaning for me. I would say, though, the piece that I think is the most powerful for me is a Micheline Thomas photograph. It's actually mixed media that my husband and I purchased, funny enough, at the Brooklyn Museum Artist's Ball several years ago. And it's just a great piece.
0: And are there any artists or artworks that you kind of have your eye on right now? Yes, I always do.
1: So right now I've been looking at several pieces by Hassan Hashaj. He's a Moroccan photographer. He's really terrific. He sort of does pop photography He takes these beautiful, colorful photographs of men and women dressed in very colorful wares. The latest series was Arabic women on motorcycles. It's a really cool series and he continues to do really interesting work.
0: I bought a really small one of those photographs. It was like a Magnum sale where they did really small prints. And I got one of those with the motorcycles. I actually have that. They're so cool. Yes, they're very, very interesting. So I wanted to talk more about your career. Much of your career has been in the media, but in 2011, you founded the art startup ArtSpace. Could you tell me what inspired that business? Sure. I mean, it's actually pretty simple
1: in the sense that I had been in media and technology for almost my whole career in 2010, which was, you know, over 20 years. And I saw with my business partner an open white space in the area of e-commerce and art. And I knew there was so much activity happening online, but very little activity in the art market. Well, there were posters being sold all over the place, there really wasn't any place to learn about and educate yourself and then buy contemporary art from all over the world. And the internet was really the perfect frictionless place to do that. So my partner at the time, Chris Vroom, my business partner, we founded ArtSpace to solve that challenge and to be able to bring art collecting of some sort, no matter what level you are at, whether you're just beginning or you're a serious collector, to be able to access it online from anywhere in the world and to buy any piece that you wanted to from any gallery in the world. And so that was the genesis of it and the site and the business still exists today.
0: And what did you learn about the art industry that you hadn't experienced from the perspective as an art collector during your work at ArtSpace? Well, it's interesting. You know, I'm not
1: a major collector in the sense of the word that you all think of as major collectors. And I think what I didn't realize was just how tight that community is. They really make it a major part of their lives, to meet the artists and collect the works and travel to the art fairs and really learn and support these artists, You know, just continues to give me an even greater appreciation for artists and how they see the world and how they help us see the world in ways that we might not necessarily be able to just in our everyday lives. And so I have a super appreciation for those that dedicate their lives to art.
0: You ended up selling ArtSpace and a few years later you left. Why did you leave and how did you make your way back to publishing and your current job at Meredith? We
1: sold a company to Fiden. And I have to say, you know, I've bought and sold companies and been on each side of the transaction before. This was a really great collaboration. It was a great home for ArtSpace. And Keith Fox, who is the CEO of Fiden, really took it on to integrate us into the existing Fiden business. And anyway, the cultures were terrific. We still gained a lot of support. The company was doing well. And I think after a couple of years through that integration, I just realized that I had done what I could with that business and that it was in great hands. So I left. I took a little bit of time off to try to figure out what I wanted to do and I do believe in change and that in many ways, in order to continue going, you've got to make changes. And so I began consulting for early stage companies, mostly in the technology, media, e-commerce space. And while I was there, I was given a call from Meredith, which had recently bought Time, Inc. So for those of you that don't know, Meredith Corporation is a major multi-platform media company that owns many of the brands that you all know. And love today, including People Magazine and Entertainment Weekly and All Recipes and Travel and Leisure and Food and Wine and InStyle, these powerhouse brands that had been around for decades that were transitioning into a new world of new media and the company's incredibly interesting. And in fact, I started my career in publishing even before the internet really became a consumer medium And so it was an interesting way to kind of come full circle into an industry that I knew incredibly well and to a set of brands that had so much opportunity to continue to grow and continue to grow their prominence in media. And so it was a pretty natural fit for me, having been in the media business before, and I spent a long time at the New York Times in their digital division, but also in their magazine division, which I first started. So it was a perfect fit.
0: And I also wanted to ask you to kind of go back a little bit in recent years, we've seen that the celebration of the visionary female founder can cut both ways and that women can be vilified for behavior in the workplace that wouldn't necessarily be questioned in a male leader. So I wanted to ask you, how can women leaders be committed to maintaining a supportive, positive work environment while still running a successful business?
1: Look, I think where we are in business today is incredibly well-suited to women. We are very, very used to being in a world where we've got to juggle family and home and all of the expectations that many of us have on ourselves of being a mother. And so, in business is incredibly complicated. Personally, I think the kind of leadership that we're moving into, which is an empathetic leadership, a really communicative style of leadership is perfect for women. My advice is to just continue to stay in it. I know it can be difficult to be juggling all of these various needs of our time. And I just think it's a great time to be in the workforce for women. Unfortunately, it also is a time, you know, post this pandemic and during this pandemic where women have been forced to leave the workforce And I think it's incredibly important as women leaders that we create environments for our employees that are flexible and allow for these incredibly talented women to find a way to stay in the workforce while also balancing what their needs are at home. And I think we're coming into a world we've seen over the past year that companies can succeed and be flexible at the same time. In terms of female entrepreneurs, more and more of them are becoming more prominent. And I'm glad to hear that. We write about them all the time at Meredith. And, you know, women like men, everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. And everybody should have the opportunity to grow and expand and learn from whatever mistakes they made, no matter what gender you are. And I think it's unfortunate that that sometimes women aren't given the same kind of chances as men when they do make mistakes. There's this notion of failing upwards, and it's very, very difficult For women to do that, it seems to be more common among men. And I think we all have to recognize that we're all fallible and we all have the ability to succeed in the same way. And I think we just have to make sure we're really cognizant, both women and men, that we're supporting women in the workplace and cognizant of all the challenges that they do have.
0: You mentioned that you recently had a baby, which comes shortly after your promotion at Meredith. And I wondered how has motherhood changed your view of your career and your understanding of the ways in which women are expected to juggle all of the demands of both work and family? This past year has been so challenging and so
1: traumatic for so many of us and for so many different reasons. It's been quite a tsunami. And yet at the same time, you know, I personally feel incredibly blessed that I have this new, beautiful baby girl. There's a wave of emotions that, you know, I've gone through over this past year. I've been in many ways lucky because we started working from home a year ago. Our employees are really the most important thing to our business. And so their health was critical. And I had a baby in the end of August and I'd been working from home and I found a way to be able to be as productive at at home than I was in the office, although I do really miss seeing people and I miss the culture. But in a way, I've been fortunate because I've been able to spend a lot of time at home with my baby that I wouldn't have been able to had I been commuting into an office every day. But it's also given me a new understanding of what mothers and fathers go through to juggle parenthood and career. It's hard. You know, when we sent folks home and those parents with young kids didn't have childcare, they didn't have school during the day. So they were forced to be parents of toddlers and managers and getting their work done and in many cases being leaders in this crazy environment. And it gave me really a new appreciation for just how much parents go through in juggling. And in terms of my career, I think Always being cognizant that the people who I work with have lives. We all do. We have lives outside of work. And I think we've learned a lot about flexibility and empathy and being able to understand that if you're healthy at home, then you're going to do the best work that you possibly can. I think also as a mother, I feel this additional responsibility for Making the world a better place for all of our kids. And I think being responsible for a media company right now is important. Who we put in our pages and our mediums, in our videos, in our audio, on our websites, on our mobile devices, on TikTok, on Snapchat, the diversity of those people is really important. We want to be ahead of the world and we want to be guiding what's right. And we want to be helping our readers and our consumers make the right choices. And so I feel a big responsibility. I also feel a big responsibility for our employees. I guess it's really all about leaving the world in a better place than you left it.
0: I totally relate to that. For me at ArtNet, I think what we do is so important because the art world has for so long been about the great white male genius and representation of other points of view is really of paramount importance. completely agree. It's interesting. I mentioned two male artists and one female artist
1: in the questions that you've asked me, but the majority of my collection is actually female artists and diverse female artists. It's an interesting time for all of our industries. I love to see the diversity shining through.
0: I also wanted to ask you if you could tell us about a mentor that you've had in your career who's changed the way you think about some of these issues. I've been incredibly fortunate in that I have
1: had a number of great mentors, both male and female. I don't know, I guess that's sort of pure luck in the sense that I've gotten to work for these incredible people. What I learned most is by watching and experiencing less so about what some people speak and say to me personally. To me, you know, actions always speak louder than words. And so my mentors have always treated me and their employees with incredible respect, a lot of responsibility, a lot of leeway, and a lot of flexibility. Sort of always goes back to treat others the way you'd want to be treated yourself. And I've learned a lot just by that pure mantra.
0: And kind of on that note, what have you learned about what makes a nurturing environment for creative thinking? Space,
1: I think, is really important. Space for people to really think, create, experiment, test, learn, fail, and adjust. All of those things are really important. You know, in the media industry, everybody is creative, our writers, Our editors, our video producers and audio producers, our on-camera talent, our behind-the-camera talent, behind-the-scenes talent, they're all incredibly talented, but so are our sales and marketing teams. So are engineers. Engineers are amongst the most creative people in the sense that they're creating something out of nothing, a product that didn't exist before that exists now is incredibly creative, so I feel like you have to give people in different functions and different roles the space to do their thing. And if you do that and you foster a really creative and collaborative environment, then you're going to have a winning
0: formula. You were promoted to Meredith's president at the end of 2020, which was such a tumultuous year for so many reasons. There's a phenomenon... Called the glass cliff, in which women are more likely to be promoted to leadership roles during a time of crisis or downturn, making it hard for them to succeed. Is that something you were aware of in taking on this post during the global health crisis? And what are you doing to ensure that the glass cliff doesn't follow the shattering of the glass ceiling? I have to say, I thought about the glass ceiling, but I did not think about
1: the glass cliff. I completely. Just dove in and felt the same level of responsibility and motivation that I did the day before I took the job. So, yes, we're in a crisis, but I feel incredibly supported by the rest of the management team, the employees, our CEO. And we have a culture here about we're in it together. So, I do not feel like I am in a position where just because it's a time of crisis that I don't think we're going to be able to get through it. So I do think there is some of that out in the world and in the industry. And I think we have to be really cognizant of that. But again, I feel fortunate in the sense that I don't feel like I'm in any way being set up to do anything but succeed.
0: Have you seen this kind of glass cliff problem? And do you think it's something that we should be working to address?
1: Yes, I've seen it. And yes, I think it's something that we do need to address. I feel very fortunate in that I feel very supported in my current role and we have a culture at Meredith Corporation that's incredibly collaborative and we help each other succeed. So I don't feel like I am personally being put in that situation, but I do know that that situation does exist and I think it's really important that executive teams and boards are aware of this problem and ensure that their executives have the tools and the support that they need at the board level to be able to get through a crisis like this. Because nobody can do it alone, not in the world, not in a company. And I think that the recognition that a new executive can come into a crisis role and that the expectations for a woman and man could be very different, I think is just blatantly wrong. And so the more we're aware of it, the more we can help change it.
0: No, that's so true. I also wanted to ask you about the art industry. And this probably is true for the media industry as well. But for our listeners who come mainly from the art industry, I think the experience is that it can be really all consuming. And we're kind of wondering, what do you do to create and maintain healthy boundaries between your work life and your home life? Yeah,
1: that's hard. You know, I think it's hard for everybody, particularly when everybody's working from home and have their devices and their computers and their work right in the house or their apartment with them. Almost every industry right now is likely to be felt all-consuming. Technology the way that it is, being connected and needing to respond or feeling like you need to respond is just one of the issues that I think we're all facing. So how to maintain healthy balance and a healthy life and healthy boundaries is really important. So how do I do it? Right now I'm forced to. I have a baby at home who requires a significant amount of my attention and I love that. So it's a great way for me to escape work. Beyond that, you have to think about yourself and making sure that you stay healthy and in shape. And so often I'll take walks. I take phone calls outside and take walks and ensure that I'm getting some kind of workout in you know, as much as I can, I will go see art. So for me, that's a funny way of going back to a different industry that I was in, but it's not at all work. It's purely for my own interests. So I think it's having other interests and supporting those interests is great for you. And it's great for your job because I think perspective is critically important to being successful in your work life.
0: That's such good advice. Have you been able to see some good things now that some of the museums and galleries are back open? What have you seen recently? Well, recently I saw the David Hockney exhibit at the Morgan Library,
1: which I thought was fabulous. I've been to a couple of galleries, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing the exhibition at the new museum shortly.
0: I was just at the Met yesterday. It's such a strange thing still to go back. (laughs) Yeah, was it crowded? It was. It was a little bit crowded, but it was good to see the Alice Neal. I highly recommend. I really
1: would like to see that as well. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, there's just so much to look forward to as the world starts opening up again. I think we've all been cooped up for so long and it's absolutely needed and we all have to continue to be incredibly careful. But I think that there's a lot of pent up desire to go back to being able to do all the things we loved to do before.
0: Yes, I think for the art world, especially with Freeze coming up, everyone's just on tenterhooks waiting. So I also wanted to ask, what advice do you have for women looking to advance professionally?
1: I think my advice is always to find a place in a profession that you're really passionate about. And it doesn't have to be the perfect job at any one moment. But the people you work with, those are the people you're going to be spending your time with and how and what you're doing matters. Do great work. Just continue to do great work. Stay motivated. Take care of yourself. Ask for more. And I think you're going to advance. I had great mentors and I was very lucky. Mentorship is really important. So try to find people that you connect with authentically As your mentors, rather than just pointing out somebody who you say, oh, wow, I'd like that person to be my mentor, but I don't really connect with them. You have to connect personally with your mentor. It has to go beyond just your day-to-day job in order for it to be a successful mentor-mentee relationship. So I think finding the right person is important and then staying with those relationships. My mentors are now my friends. And in fact, my colleagues, former bosses, people that worked for me, that I worked for, they're lifelong friendships. We spend a lot of time in our jobs. And so the people that we work with is probably the most important thing.
0: And if you're looking as a woman to grow into a leadership role, I think that there's concern about feeling like someone's too ambitious as a woman. What would you say about the role that ambition should play in a woman's career? Do
1: not hide your ambition. Men do not hide their ambition. Women should not hide their ambition. It's part of what makes you great. And so I would try to ignore all that noise in the world and be yourself. And if that requires asking for more and being ambitious, terrific. And I think as more women advance in the workplace, I think that will be more and more accepted. And the best advice I can give in that area is be yourself and ask for what it is that you want, because if you do not ask, you shall not receive.
0: 100%, I completely agree. And I think that that's something that I didn't necessarily learn as a girl. We're socialized in many ways differently, but
1: I also think that that can be a positive. I'm in a leadership role right now at a time where I think female leadership is an asset. The way that we show empathy, the way that we connect with other people, the way that we communicate is really helpful in the world that we live in today. So take that as a great opportunity to advance now because the type of leaders that companies are looking for are leaders that have those types of qualities. And I think they come much more naturally to women than they do to men.
0: And in terms of having worked in both art and media industries, do you feel like one is more welcoming or accepting of women's leadership? It's a good question. I would say between art and media, they're both more
1: and more accepting of women leadership. I think where it's more challenging is in the finance, venture capital and startup and technology worlds. And I think those areas have a lot of work to do. It's actually an interesting cycle in that the more women in leadership roles in every industry, the more women will ultimately be able to control more and more of the source of capital in this country. And once women control more capital, they can invest back in to other women. So being able to invest their actual money into other women who then can succeed moving forward, that has to be a cycle that we move towards. Because until women control more of the sources of capital in this country, the venture capital money going into new businesses will always continue to be geared much more towards men. And that goes for diversity as well, frankly. This is a big cycle. Women are in a great position right now to continue to succeed and grow professionally. And I think we all have to give back as well and support each other.
0: We really do. I think that women supporting women is one of the things that's going to make true gender equality possible. I completely agree. Because it's not that there's only room for one Catherine Levine. Like there can be many more women who have similar roles at similarly important companies. And I think that that's something. That is just going to become more and more the norm. I completely agree.
1: And believe me, when I started my career, I don't think there were any women at the top of media companies, even media companies geared towards women. So we also have to take a look back and say, we've made a lot of progress. We still have a long way to go for women and also for diverse leadership for men and women. But I think the more cognizant we are and the more explicit effort that we make the more we will advance both of those goals.
0: And this podcast series is called Shattering the Glass Ceiling. Did you feel that you had done just that, taking on this post that no woman in the company had ever had before? Was it something you were aiming to do?
1: Yes, certainly. It was something that I was aiming to do. And I definitely felt that responsibility and felt that change And our CEO, who's the man, really made me understand that too. It was really important to him to have female leaders around that he could help grow as well. So I felt, certainly I did feel like I was shattering the glass in some way because, you know, I was the first woman to have this role, but also the first female corporate officer of the company. So it felt exciting. And I hope in many ways women can look at me and say, wow, I can do that too.
0: Catherine, thank you so much. It's been wonderful having you on Shattering the Glass Ceiling with the Art Angle. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Shattering the Glass Ceiling. Be sure to check out the series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Shattering the Glass Ceiling is produced by Sonia Manalili and Caroline Goldstein.